Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hey guys, welcome to episode, I think we're on episode 33 or 34 now. My guest today is Ryan Reynolds with Apex Waterfowling. We're going to have a conversation about duck and goose hunting and wing shooting in general and how Ryan got into the game, how he does what he does. Uh, Ryan runs Apex Waterfowling, like I said, and that is a top-notch, top-tier outfit in out of bigger Saskatchewan. But Ryan, welcome to the show, man. And I believe you are in a little town in southern Ontario that's famous for obviously you, but Avril Lavigne. Oh, hey, first of all, thanks for having me. And second of all, yes, it is actually famous for both of us, for the record. Nice. <laughs> yes. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm sitting in Ontario right now waiting uh, waiting to get back to Saskatchewan for the hunting season. So, Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, we, we had a phone call earlier, and we I promised you we wouldn't talk much about the border because it's up in the air. You know, at this point, there's not a definitive answer. Yeah, I mean, that, unfortunately enough, is the Coles Notes version of it. There's not a definitive answer. Um, <clears throat> things are definitely moving in the right direction. Uh, there's been stuff that's changed just in the last two days, actually, um, for Canadian residents that are have been vaccinated, double vaccinated. We can now cross and come back without having to do our 14-day quarantine and the whole hotel stay that everybody's reading about and worried about. Um, so they've got rid of that for Canadian residents, which, I mean, I'm not a politician and I don't have a crystal ball, but I mean, the next step would be that if we can enter our country that way, I mean, I think the next step would be that everybody's going to enter our country that way. So we're, we're heading in the right direction and, um, it looks like there's going to be enough grace period between these changes and hunting season to be able to be ready to go. Um, it's the way that everything's looking, but that's uh there is a certain aspect or level of fingers crossed knock on wood with those comments so here's hoping really at the end of the day yeah yeah no i i hope it all works out for obviously for outfitters like yourself um you know the whole outdoor space has been affected by that um from waterfall to big game to fishing you know we we talked earlier and like i said i don't want to dwell on it it is what it is and no, it's been no, covered I ad, ad nauseum, but it's one of those things that it's a it's a topic people want to know. So, yeah, it's the hot topic right now. I mean, you know, that outdoor industry. There's so many aspects of it that it affects. You know, you got you had spring bear outfitters, and you've got summer fish camps. That, you know, this is. I mean, COVID's only been what a year and change. This is it. Might as well be two full years for those spring bear guys in the summer fish camps, right? They're losing. They're on their second season, either already lost or in the middle of losing. Um, the big game guys and you know waterfowl guys like myself, you know, we're creeping up on the second year. We're still in the fingers crossed zone, but there's a lot of guys, man, that are, you know, they're right in the middle of two full seasons. Right. So I mean, it's 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 time to time to move here. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I had a, a an opportunity to talk with Clay Lancaster, um, who's a sheep, big game outfitter 
and he did a little bit for the for Eastman's for us for our sheep issue. Had a really cool mm-hmm. article in there. And he was literally when I talked to him about doing the article, he's like, "Yeah, I'd love to. I'm stuck in a hotel room in, uh, I think he was in Calgary at the time. Yeah, and same deal, same deal. But it is what it is, and hopefully everything opens up and you guys can start start guiding guiding yeah. hunters again you know honestly see all of our friends that we haven't seen in over well I almost bet. two years that that's the crazy part i mean you know yeah, i mean I there's bet. the whole business aspect to it but then you've got these guys that you know you're used to seeing once or twice a year and you've seen them for the last you know 10 15 18 years and now all of a sudden you know texts and phone calls are pretty much all we got so you know as much as it's going to be good to get back to hosting people and having full camps it's uh, going to be just as awesome to see lifelong friends really at the end of the day and i think yeah and i I think that's probably part of well and that dovetails perfectly into kind of where i wanted to go with this um ramsey russell was on the podcast and he recommended having you on as a guest and like i said i earlier i really appreciate you jumping on with me but he said something that you and I touched on in our phone conversation that waterfall isn't about ducks and geese. It's about waterfall hunting. I'm sorry. Wing shooting. It's not about the birds. It's not about necessarily the gear. It's about the relationships. It's about the people and the stories that come from those people and relationships, man. I bet you have amassed incredible an incredible library of stories. And like you said, friends that yeah you get to see or used to you well yeah that that's it right i mean and, and you nailed it on the head there it's uh it's funny because like i'll go for a scouting mission you know i'll take my turn in the truck or whatever for morning or an afternoon type deal and go on a scouting mission and as i cover you know a certain area you know i can drive by a field and it's like oh yeah uh we sh- you know, I was with so-and-so in this field and the weather was this and we set up here and this is how the birds worked or, oh, we smashed them there or, oh, we struggled with them, um, whatever. But it's all those stories. It's not the, oh, well, we got this many this day and, boy, they didn't see us coming. It's the stories, the camaraderie. It's the, you know, every three to six days when somebody new walks through the camp, you know, yeah, I've got guys that I've literally hunted with for 15 years and are legitimate friends with go on boys fishing trips in the winter with you know get together in the summer uh the families that kind of stuff you know like uh so the stories you know you might see each other once a year but you know as soon as the cold beverages start flowing there's always the yeah. you know the top 10 stories that get rekindled right so it's uh it's the camaraderie of it and that's that's the part that i think for me personally in my waterfowl career that's the part that uh, has not gotten old. Can't see it getting old. Um, that's just it's a it's a brotherhood, really. Not to be corny and cheesy, but you know, as you as you build a clientele list, these guys you feel guilty using the word client because technically, mm-hmm. on a business sense, that's mm-hmm. what they are. But they're they're friends, they're family. You know, you have group chats with them not even about their trip or their dates or anything like that just legitimate friendships formed no i i can see that um it's i i, I have a f- some pretty good friends who run 
waterfowl outfits here in the States and they say the same things, you know, and I've helped out over the last couple of years here with wingmen, been fortunate to jump in a blind with them and do some filming or get some photos or, Hey, I need a, I need a dog today. Can you and Mackinac come out and, and help out or whatever? And, and mm-hmm. it's fun, but that's exactly what I've noticed is that it's the same clients almost year in and year out. And after a couple times out with them, you get to realize these aren't clients. Like you said, these are friends. Uh, these are friends 100%. who are. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, you, you take, I I'm fortunate. I've been doing this 18 going into 19 years now, I guess it is 19 seasons. Wow. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm fortunate that I've built up the clientele base, uh, to the point where when my season ends, we sit at about, you might as well call it 85 to 90% booked at the end of every season from repeat guys, That's wildly, phenomenal. Wa- wildly fortunate. But I mean, you know, it's uh business sense. It's, you know, fantastic. That's what you strive for, but more so it's like, it's awesome. I get to hang out with these boys again next year. This is, it might as well be mm-hmm. our yearly trip that they just happen to come to me for. So it's uh yeah, that's pretty, cool. pr- pretty legit. Yeah. That's odd. Did you see that coming 18, 19, however many years ago it was when you started no. doing this? Cause you no. said, you said, you're like, you told me, you know, when you started this, it's like, I'm going to chase this dream and you know, believing in the fact, believing in the idea that you can do anything you want in this life. If you're willing to go get it and work hard. A hundred percent. Did you see it, that coming? No, not not at all. In my my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have done anything but dream about how this has turned out. Um, you know, like I told you in our phone conversation when we basically met there the other day. You know, I come from a tiny little right. town, man. Like, um, you know, we come from a great family, um, but not a lot of backing that way. Um, so it was, you know, hey, if you want something, you have to go get it. And, you know, everybody looks at us like, oh, this guy's been doing this for 18, 19 years. Oh, cakewalk. Well, in 18, 19 years, there's more peaks and valleys than a guy could sit here and list in 45 minutes or an hour or whatever we got here. <clears throat> I don't think I could get through it with you today. Um, I bet. But but if you it, it, what's worked for me personally, and I mean, I'm not about to write a book on how to do it or anything like that, but what's worked for me is literally set a goal, set a bar, and don't let yourself come underneath that bar. You know, when we when I started running trips, there was a bar set. This is what we're going to aim for. Um, you know, we're going to dot the I's, cross the T's, all that kind of stuff. Um, and let the cards roll out. You put out the fires as they come up and, and, and roll with it from there. But I mean, it's all about standards and it's all about not giving up because I mean, when you forget hunting waterfowl for 130, 140 days a year, that's going to kick the snot out of you to begin with. But then when you add all the background logistics Mm -hmm. of, you know, guests needing this and guests needing that and changing this last minute or flights being moved and, you know, staffing and weather and farmers and everything else, um, man, it'll, you know, everything can go wrong. But uh, when the year ends, if you've, achieved that bar not being lowered that you set then it's a win 
and then you can take the <clears throat> right you you take the handful of things that you might want to improve on make those improvements and next year all of a sudden becomes better so then you know from the team that I've been lucky enough to put together over the years um to the people that I've met it all just kind of it all happened really like when we started I started building uh a brand new lodge in the Saskatchewan operation um I I bought the Saskatchewan operation three years ago now, I guess it is. Three, four years ago, I bought the Saskatchewan operation um, because my operation in Ontario, it basically got to the point where I needed to expand. I, you know, I was full for the season. I was full for clients. I had gone to Saskatchewan guiding for other guys since I was 19 years old um, and wanted to expand the business. So I looked in to something that was available out there when i bought it it was like oh i would have never dreamed that i'd actually own an operation out here wow this is amazing right um and then when i got to the point where i had the opportunity to build the new lodge that was a whole new dream realized you know um we're doing this we're making it happen we're gonna double the capacity it's gonna be a massive operation we just bought 10 acres we're putting this 6400 square foot state-of-the-art lodge on it like what is happening type deal right um and it's right. all from setting that bar and next thing you know it just kind of happens without you even really being you know without without you even really realizing it so to speak and it's still unbelievable um and i haven't even i haven't even lived through all the facets of that dream yet really because in all honesty um, when we were out there for our spring snow goose season, the building went up and, you know, it was a, a shell type deal when we left there at the end of our spring right. snow season. So I've been getting pictures and updates from the contractor and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we're about three weeks away from turnkey on it, from being from being into it, being done. And oh, good, good uh, for you. Yeah, so I mean, I haven't even walked into it yet, right? You know, I get pictures of the flooring and the cupboards going in and all that stuff. So, you know, in about three weeks, we're about to walk into that whole new, the, the whole another level of that dream. And then first of September, when those first clients show up and we get to stand on the front step and shake hands, you know, it's that's and just another facet of the dream, right? So it's, she's uh, she's yeah. pretty cool. That is so cool, and. <clears throat> How much of, you know, you talk about setting the bar, setting goals. I I know I, a good friend of mine, Nick Kafka, started an operation here, which has been bought since he he's moved on into, into another thing. But one of the things he talked about was, or he used to talk about, still does, is that, you know, he could only control so many things as a guide, as an outfitter. And at the end of the day, he can't control the flights. He can't necessarily control the birds. Yeah, you scout your butt off. You work hard to make sure your clients have, you know, the best opportunities in the world. You can't pull the trigger for them. You know, you can, you, you work as hard as you can. What are some of the things, I guess what I'm getting at is he talked about having an insurance plan. Yeah. And his, yeah. his wife was a huge is a huge part of that insurance plan when because they did it together they ran the operation together and it and he talked about yeah you could go out and you maybe the shooting that day wasn't great 
but those guys come back and they have they have a a wonderful hostess waiting for them back at the lodge with incredible home cooked meals. Yeah. You know, how much of that how much of that I'm I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. Was that a surprise to you? Because I think um, I know for me it's easy it's easy to get caught up in uh it's all about the birds when it may not necessarily it's we have already said it. It's not necessarily that way. Yeah, 100%. Um that became evident to me the, the all of the facets of it outside of the the pile picture came real evident to me early on. Um I started my my guiding career working for a guy that that's all that mattered. Like we're here to count birds. Th- you know, the boys stayed at a hotel. Um, the restaurant was there. Go for dinner when you want. Order what you want off the menu. It's all included. But <laughs> right. we're here to we're here to count the we're here to count the birds. That's the success level. Well, as the guide, yeah. I was in the field every day with guys, and they're like, "Oh, shooting was amazing. It's eight thirty, and now I have twenty four hours to burn before I get to do this again <laughs> with nothing to do." Right. Yeah. So as the guide, right. you're like right. you're like. You know, guys are complaining about this and you're stuck in the field with them like uh, we can take our time driving back if you want. Like, I don't know. Like, I'll take a detour. Fun <laughs> times. A, right. Take you on a, on a color tour or something. Right. Exactly. Oh. So it, that part of it became uh, I noticed the important like the importance of it real early on. Um, but, you know, as as I've built this business um now you know like that that's number i would say all of that back end stuff is probably and i'll say this conservatively in my opinion um the actual numbers and the bird killing aspect um is probably about five percent of the importancy level in my opinion because guys are here to do that and you know like i said to you on my phone call on our phone call the other day guys expect to pull the trigger and to see birds that's what they've paid the money for it shouldn't be like a well you shot birds like what are you complaining about well of course they shot birds why else are they here right but what we like (laughs) what what we like to focus on and what i like to do is guys are at an all-inclusive trip man i don't care there's no difference between walking into my lodge there's no no difference in walking into my lodge or walking into a all inclusive um, resort in Mexico. You don't want to worry about anything. In my opinion, the bird hunting part of my all inclusive is equivalent to the pool at an all inclusive in Mexico. Well, there better be a pool where I'm staying because that's what I'm here for, right? It's all the other stuff. Right, right. Um, are my full staff? You know, everybody. One of the biggest things that we get complimented on is, um, is everybody being so friendly. You know, my my team, I'm f- so fortunate that everybody loves what they do and they welcome the guys in. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to get the top end customer service. Uh, I've got two guys on my staff um, that are ten out of ten on on cameras. Um, you know, so there's always great pictures. They're usually in the field for a handful of your hunts. So, I mean, at the end of the, at the end of the day or the end of the trip, they're flipping guys, high quality pictures of their dog, of them in a field, of them picking stuff up, you know, it's like, there's your, 
there's your memories. That's then you walk right. Then you yes. walk back into yes. the lodge, and there's a in-house five-star chef who's got you know dinner rolling because when we leave the field or we start picking up, and the guide goes to get the truck to pick up, he's giving the chef a call. Hey, listen, I've got an hour. Uh, we're good to go. Well, the chef starts stuff, and as soon as the guys come through, it's like, hey, boys, go ahead and get your boots off, get washed up. You got 10 minutes till grub time. It's not like everything's buffet style, sitting there, been there for three hours waiting for you, is soggy. And, you know, so there's there's that aspect of it. There's it, It's dotting the I's and crossing the T's for the service end of stuff that when you have that day where you show up to the field and the sun comes up and your entire roost jumps because a coyote just happened to walk across the end of it and jump them that you can't control well guess what you have every other facet covered so at least you might you know instead of taking a bullet square in the chest it might just end up as a flush wound type deal on the day because you've got everything else covered right that's how i i mean that's my personal opinion on it no, you sold me. You sold me. If the border was open, I'd be there tomorrow. <laughs> well, there you go. There you <laughs> if go. If you had an opening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, and that and that's just it. That's just it. You know, I there's a lot of people out there that can put you on piles. You know, that, yeah. that you can go build piles with. And if that's all you want, then I think okay, great. There's lots of people that can do that. There's lots of places you can go do that. But you know, when you look at the experience of it, what you just talked about is that's for me, that's what I would want out of it. Yeah. Because I've been on the hunts where, you know, DIY hunts growing up when you're here, especially when you're young and you're into it and it's all about it's all about piles, really, when you're when you're younger, um, or maybe starting out and it's like, okay, we smashed, you know, 50 honkers this morning and we're done by eight o'clock yeah now what you know now now what do we do now yeah you probably have three decent memories that'll stick in your head from shooting those birds that fast that morning in a year from now but that's just it that's that's just it and honestly the parts of the hunts like that that we that stick in my brain the most are the upland bird hunts that we did during the day after yeah. the goose hunt or duck hunt in the morning. And it wasn't about the grouse and the woodcock we shot. It was about, it was about, you know, the, the time together in the afternoon, or maybe yeah. we went golfing or somebody, we brought fish and stuff and we went fishing or, you know, whatever. That's, those are the things that you remember. I like, you hit on something about photography and yeah. I think that that is such a huge thing and because in what we do with the big game and with wingmen, we are constantly chasing photographs, constantly, mm-hmm. because we know that that's a captured moment, that's a captured memory. <clears throat> and if guys are worried about in the field doing hunting and taking photographs, well, they're not going to, they're, they're going to forget to take pictures or the pictures are going to maybe not be great. But when you have somebody dedicated, a dedicated photographer there with high end equipment, that's taking photos that hunts eternal. Then those moments are eternal. A hundred percent. I've got two guys like that 
that are both I have two guys that are on the camera every day and you know they'll be they'll come back and it's always you know a little bit of a pissing match to be like um how many pictures did you take today how many pictures did you take today and it's like I got this yeah. many on my camera and it's like okay well how many of them turned out and, you know then it's like uh, I got this and then you know they start uploading stuff to Dropbox and emailing guys and they got they got the laptop sitting there in the lodge at the end of the night and guys are gathered around they're like oh send me this one send me this one send me this one and it's you know that's a locked in memory that's not going anywhere you know we've got so many clients that have you know those guys will get back from scouting at night or whatever maybe one of them was out scouting one of them was in the field that afternoon and the guy that was out scouting will come back and he's like oh yeah i sat on this field you know you boys are going to this one tomorrow and he's got 50 pictures out of the thousand of them that he took yes. that are all quality that we're going to upload to dropbox to use on our social media and he's starting to flip these guys pictures so now this client has a field of you know a hundred thousand snow geese covering you know square miles type deal and we go the next morning and then he's got a pile picture of you know 80 of them that he's you know these guys are sitting in front of or whatever and it's like i can put this together right there's your story there's your memory you know you can't drive that hook any deeper in people at that point for wanting to come back. No, no. And you build the stoke with, you build the stoke level with those scouting pictures as a, as a, I think that's genius because as a client, you know, there's a lot, especially if you've never been to someplace before, there's a level of uncertainty about, okay, what's this going to be like? You know, yeah, they say there's birds or yeah, they say there's this and that, but what's it really going to be like? Well, you got a dude coming back that's showing you pictures and video of yeah. what is there, what was there. And obviously, you're going to preface that with, you know, that coyote could run across that roost and blow the whole thing for us in the morning. But if all goes to plan, this is what, what you have got. to look forward to. Yeah. And guys aren't even going to sleep that night. They're going to be so jacked because they're seeing this stuff. Yeah, just building, building the experience even more is... Yeah, it, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Like I said, what you do, you've you've got it figured out. How many years did it take you to get it figured out? Uh, pretty much all of them. I, I wouldn't say that I've got it all figured yeah. out at this point, to be honest with you, man. I think if I sat here and said I had it figured out, I there's only anywhere to go but backwards from here at this point, and I'm not ready to go backwards, to be honest with you. Um, there's always... There There's always something. There's little tiny details, you know, um, like I, I've talked about my my team that I've formed, um, you know, my my core dudes right now. Um, I've got a right hand man that lives in Saskatchewan, Braden. I mean, it wouldn't be I wouldn't do it without him. I'd have to fly back and forth to Saskatchewan. I don't know how many times in a year to handle stuff. Uh, he's literally my right hand. Um, I've got Jamie and Mitch that run the cameras. I've got Gavin, uh, and scout and, you know, they guide and everything too. They're multitaskers by all means. I got Gavin who's, uh, who's just, uh, I mean, he's guide extraordinaire. Everybody loves him. He's from the East coast. He talks funny. So people find him humorous right away. And he <laughs> is an absolute have a character on staff. Oh yeah. And he's an absolute assassin. You know, I've got guys here in Ontario, uh, Sean and Carter that, you know, know the land like the back of their hand. And, you know, we all kind of sit down at the end of the year and we're like, okay, what 
what needs to be improved on. Um, and, you know, it could be tiny, man. It, it could literally be like uh, it, it could, tiny, tiny things. We don't toss anything off the table. And I do it for two reasons. One is a business owner because I want to know what we can improve on for the clients. And two, as an employer, because I know what it was like to work for guys where I'd be like, uh, hey, you know, I see this weakness that we have. If, you know, if you maybe spent an extra, you know, 100 bucks, we could have this gear. Or if we just kind of, you know, on our switch out days, if we organized ourselves like this, instead of this, it would make everybody's life easier. Um, and those those thoughts and ideas just, you know, the fell on deaf ears right so when my boys sit there and they're like oh what about this 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 and this they can be tiny tiny details yep perfect i can see where that would improve so let's change it and then it's it's you know the next year is is an improvement they might be tiny things that guests don't even notice have changed but logistically they've made our life easier they've made things more efficient um and it's at the end of the day improved on the trip so that's a very long answer, I guess, for me to simply say um, it took a long time to learn all of this, but I don't think we've crossed all the bridges of learning and improving yet. I th- That was honestly the answer I was expecting and hoping that you were going to give. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like if you if you stop growing, you die. You know, if you stop improving and stop building, you die. You know, as a teacher and a coach in my past life, I used to have a saying – Nothing grows in a comfort zone. Right. It's a sterile environment. And if you're constantly, you're just sitting back going, I'm good. I'm good. And there's, yeah. you're not going to be, you're not going to keep improving. You're going to stay there or worse, backslide. That That's that's exactly it. And uh, you just said something that uh, I think really ties into a, a coach. Um, I I coach baseball in the summer. My young lad uh, plays competitive ball. Um, I'm involved with kids, you know, right from the ages of 10, 11 up to 18, 19 year olds. And, you know, the biggest thing that I tell my young lad, um, he's a pitcher. He works all year round at pitching. And, you know, I keep the biggest thing that I've told him and I tell all the kids that we're involved with, very fortunate to be involved with on the field is, you don't don't sit here and compare yourself to the other ones compare yourself to you and that should be your drive you don't have to be better than everybody else your goal is to be better than you were yesterday um and you're making improvements at that point and you're eventually going to get to where you want to be and i think that business is very much the same way if i spent all my time cruising other people's websites and seeing what they were doing and trying to keep up with the joneses then all you're doing is following at that point where, you know, I'm just trying to, we want to be better than we were yesterday or last year in this case. And that's how, that's the biggest improvements. That's how those yeah. biggest improvements are made. I, yeah. I, back to the sports analogies. Another one that I used, that I hear, that I used to hear or still hear that. And I really liked was, you know, basically along the lines of champions focus on winning and losers focused on champions. Yeah, I like that. You know, one. Yeah. you know, it's one of those things that it's like, yeah, you're looking at what you need to do to be the best that you can be. You're probably, you're probably getting there. You know, especially yeah. if you set that bar high, 
yeah, it's it's cool, man. I like I said, I I would I would love to come out and and experience some of this or come up and experience some of the stuff up there. But would love to have you. Someday it'll happen. Someday I'm looking at your <laughs> like I said when when Ramsey suggested suggested you, I I went and did some homework and the first thing I did is pull up your webpage and I'm sort sorting through stuff, looking at it going, you know, I've got a dad who's going to be 70 here pretty quick. And I'm looking at the, and he loves wing shooting. And I'm looking at this going, when that border opens up, I'm bringing dad. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're coming <laughs> yeah. up. We're, we're yeah. coming up. That's going to yeah. be awesome. But <laughs> got to check you've that got box a couple, off the list. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, I mean, I bring him out here and do DI. He does DIY stuff with me and, and, yeah we've we have some pretty phenomenal hunting at times you know but it's cold it's late you know it's be like it's 20 below are we really going to go out and chase ducks this morning in that slushy river <laughs> yeah the like, yeah you'll the be shoot- okay i'm gonna i'm the shooting's fun but all the extra work is the crappy oh, part the, the, you know get somebody else to do that crappy part for you <laughs> yeah well it's you know and, and i don't require a lot of him but honestly you know he's like i said he doesn't stay warm as well as he used to and you know i'd dress him up in the warmest sitka stuff that i have and say here we go you know and honestly if i didn't have that warm sitka gear it'd be a lot tougher to keep him in the field as long as we do there was one morning there was one morning this year i think it was like i don't know like four degrees fahrenheit the river was blowing was blowing slush and and I said, we're going to go out. I said, we're going to sleep in. Birds don't aren't going to fly until noon anyway. But I said, it's still going to be cold. He sat there all afternoon, and he was warm. I had him in the Boreal series. And yep. I was like, That stuff go. is a savior in the, uh, in the later oh part of the season, gosh. man. Oh, my gosh. We hunt in Ontario here until, like, uh, I mean, our season goes to end of December, first week of January type deal. And, I can't count how many times I've showed up to the field to kill honkers in the afternoon wearing that stuff. And everybody's like, oh, easy does it, Michelin man. And I'm like, we're going to see here in about two hours who's making fun of who here, boys. Because that, that stuff is, is so legit. true. <laughs> yes, it is. It's And it's the same out here. We had we did a hunt with uh, with Jim Sobeer from Sitka um, a couple years ago now, two years ago. And it was, it was that. It was wind chill. I think ambient temp was one, mm-hmm. maybe zero. And wind chill, you know, it's it's Wyoming. It's windy yeah. here. Yeah. And wind chill was stupid. I mean, it was well it was well below twenty below. And we're all comfy. Yeah. The only thing that suffered that day were well the geese suffered because we put it on them pretty good. <laughs> but uh <laughs> the well they didn't suffer actually. They was it was over pretty quick, pretty painless. Yeah. But perfect. The yeah. But our camera guys, we had two camera guys along on that hunt, and we filmed the whole thing and took pictures. Their hands, because I don't care, running a camera for them is real. It's really tough to do with any kind of glove on. Yeah, you just don't yeah. have the tactile control and the dexterity that you need. And they both, they both got frostbite pretty bad on their I, hands. I, be- I believe um, it. Those cameras literally turned to ice blocks too. You might as yeah. well be hanging onto a great big ice block. That's just it. That's just it. But we had a, we had a, a Yeti cooler, right? But we were hunting on a layout blinds. Um, and we had a Yeti cooler on the, in our head. Mm-hmm. And we 
great hide we had. It was a pit cornfield and lots of trash in it, you know, lots of stuff to cover up with. And we were right along the edge of a, of a plowed up, chisel plowed section of it. Anyway, we were able to put that Yeti cooler behind the blinds and cover it with like a gilly, like a leafy tarp type deal, and then just right. throw corn stubble all over it. Well, we used the cooler to keep the batteries warm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did. It wasn't about stuff, keeping stuff cold. It was, it no. was to keep stuff warm that day. Camera keep gear. From freezing. That's yeah, hilarious. we put camera gear in it with, with like heat packs. Yeah. And it it worked. It kept things warm, you know, but it was, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the stuff that you do and the that's... gear that makes it doable is, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean that's what makes it doable day in and day out, right? I mean, the yeah, amount of gear absolutely. that we go through after a hundred and some odd days is, yeah, scary for most people. Yeah, one of the things that you talk about on your website is that you're a firm believer in top quality gear, top quality equipment, and we yeah. just hit on it with with the Sitka stuff. You know, the Boreal series especially, it keeps you in the field, it keeps you hunting where you know, in if you don't have it, can you gut it out and tough it out? Maybe, but you're, you know, it's gonna. All make, you're thinking about, all you're thinking day. about is getting to the truck and not focusing yes. on the hunt. And it goes. I mean, as much as we just talked about the boreal series, uh, and I don't mean to cut you off. I might be. You might be trying to go somewhere. No, no, there, no. But, um, no, you I go to the other end there. of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to the other end of the spectrum to the, you know, the Sitka early season stuff. I mean, you take those days in early September when it's, you know, you're in the 70s, in the 80s, uh, yes. starting your hunting season. Well, that's awesome. Everybody's like, oh, shorts and flip-flops right on. No, you will literally be eaten alive by mosquitoes if you have bare yes. skin showing. So you put that early season yes. stuff on. You know, you might have your shorts and a T-shirt on, but you've got the early season base layer on, and now you don't have any bare skin, and everybody's getting crushed by mosquitoes. And you're, you know, keeping them away from your face, basically. And that's it because you're covered. Right. So, I mean, that stuff to me is just as important of a tool as my late season boreal stuff, really, at the end of the day. But I, it does. It all comes down to I gear. Think you're right. Yeah. No, it does. And it's such a huge part of it. And I think back on, I don't know, I think you and I are probably pretty close in age. And I think back on some of the stuff that I wore growing up. And I'm like. I was one tough SOB to right. be able to like, do the how stuff did I that do we that? did that I did. <laughs> yeah. Because I wouldn't go do I it mean, now. There's no way. If someone no, said you had to wear no what you way. wore 10 years ago, I'd be like, it's good, thanks. I'm all right. I got lots yeah, of stories. Let's, let's do a, you guys let me know how this one goes. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Let's do a throwback hunt. Now nah, you can keep that. You know? Exactly. Sounds oh, fun. Man. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember I remember early hawker season in, in the UP. Uh, in the upper in upper Michigan, like I said, we lived. I lived right across the river from Sioux, Canada, mm -hmm. from Sioux, Ontario, and we had an early, you know, fifteen day early goose. And my gosh, the mosquitoes would just Brutal. like you're talking, just eat you alive. And, yeah. You know, and you're out there wearing, you're out there sweating to death because you had to. Otherwise, yeah. it's like I can either be sweaty and too hot. Or I can be one big mosquito bite by the time this is all over. Hundred percent, you know. Yeah, be light, be lightheaded because I lost two pints of blood. Exactly. You know? No yeah, thanks. They, no they thanks. are brutal, but 
Yeah, we do. We we do focus on the quality gear um, for the operation. There's there's no getting around that because you have to have the quality gear to be able to make, you know, opening morning as successful as closing day and all the way in between. In my opinion. And I think part of the quality gear is you talked about earlier about the team that you've put together. Yeah. And you're not your team is they all have you know they're all individuals and they have individual skill sets that make them that make them who they are but they probably all have something in common and i'm betting it has to do with with overall hunting ability calling ability being able to set a spread to get birds right in guys faces how how'd you track those guys down and what do you look for straight up luck man i come into every single <laughs> one of these guys by straight up luck the universe, luck or providence uh well yeah i mean six of one half dozen of another really i mean um uh the team that that we've got has literally come together by i mean passion just ends up being drawn to passion i guess at the end of the day i don't yeah. really know how to word it um uh i I used to be part owner of a call company that we had up here. Um, and Braden, for example, my right-hand man, we met through that. He reached out, hey, I want to rep your calls. They live here in Saskatchewan, blah, 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 blah. Um, got to know him that way. Um, and we're just, we're pretty much the same, same human. Um, Jamie uh met through the same avenue and he was actually guiding for another operation out there at the time um didn't like the circumstances he was in so you know as we got to know each other he was like man he's like if you ever had a spot i would really like to you know talk about coming to work for you and right jamie is jamie might have the biggest heart of any human i've ever met he is our hostess with the mostest i mean every everybody <laughs> loves jamie he'll pick you up at the airport and for the hour and a half drive to camp by the time you get out of that truck at camp you know everything about jamie you've been you've been family with him forever that's just how it goes right. um mitch uh mitch and gavin are both uh our our young boys um i met mitch on social media when he was like 12 13 years old and i mean he was just this wow. kid that would message and ask questions and do this and you know hey i'm trying to learn this how do i do this how do i do that and just you know on and off conversations and then all of a sudden it's like i'm looking for a guy to add to the team and have you ever thought of doing this kid oh my god i've dreamed of it type deal and you know you come across <laughs> guys that way gavin is buddies with jamie because they come from the same the same town um you've got dylan okay. that's part of the team that is buddies with uh that grew up with Braden. so i mean it's just um with the, not only do they all have the skills like you mentioned but you know um we're all on the same page like there's the same goal for everybody you know let's be serious the guiding game can be a young man's game and you know you might have yes two you might have like two to i'm gonna say five years of guys where in my opinion, in my experience, I would say nine out of ten guys that are that are guides or have been guides in the waterfowl side are going to go one of two ways. They're going to be, well, I should say one of three ways. They're going to be lifelong guys that are just going to ride or die till the end and, you know, they get bonus kickbacks and they just want to be the guide. 
or they're going to be a guy that's going to do it for two to five years, and then they're going to be old enough to where they've met a woman, had a kid, can't leave home for two, yeah. three months anymore. I got to do something else. Or they're moving on to run their own operation. You, you've got one of those three right. options, in my opinion. And all the guys that, that are on our team, you know, um, they call me boss man, and it bugs me because I'm just like, boys, we work together. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I just pay the bills. We just work together. That's how it rolls, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, just crazy luck, I guess, to have to have the right guys come along, really, at the end of the day. That's awesome. Yeah. When you when you talk about those three things, those three types of guys, um, when I was a teacher, I got into guiding uh, fly fishermen, you know, living in Wyoming and around the right. West. It's kind of a thing, kind of a thing. So it was a great way to combine my passion for fly fishing with uh, the need to make a little extra coin in this and having a summertime, you know, pretty much unlimited time in the summer to do that. And I learned real fast. I learned real fast that I was number two. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I, and I still, I still pull a handful of days a year, but man, am I thankful I'm not one of those row or die guys fly, you know, fish or die guys. Like, like you yeah. mentioned, that's I'll have, I, I take my day job. I kind of like, I kind of like this gig. <laughs> yeah. I like my kids. I like my wife. I like being home and seeing them. And I like to take a hand, get a handful of trips every year and, and go and especially with repeat clients, you know, like you said earlier, it's yeah. a friendship thing. You know, I look forward to fishing, taking those guys fishing because at the end of the day, I'm fishing too, because I'm putting them on fish. Oh, if it was waterfall hunting, I'm hunting too, because I'm putting them on birds and I get to, I get to, we go to go have fun. And we it's as much of a trip for things. you as it is for them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny when you, when you said those three types of guys, I'm like, yep. Yeah, I've that's, seen it, I've seen it on, that, on the other side in, in fly fishing, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing that uh, I, I think that's, you know, I've guided with a lot of guys. I've worked with a lot of guys in this industry and that's just usually the way those are, in my opinion, the top three, how it, how it rolls out. And, you know, I mean, when you have the, the lifelong guys, you know, myself, I fall into that category. I'm one of those lifelong guys, right? Like I'm, I'm gone for, I'm home for the month of April. I'm in Saskatchewan, um, spring snows, September, October, I'm in Saskatchewan. And then when I come home, we have November and might as well call it half of December, um, uh, that I'm guiding here in Ontario. And as much as I'm home and sleep in my own bed every night, you, you want to know how much I'm not home during that time? Ask my wife. Cause she'll tell you, she'd rather me be in Saskatchewan. Cause it's like you're home, but you're not home at the same time. Yes. So, I mean, really yep. at the end of the day, you know, um, I get asked a lot. Um, what do you do the rest of the year? Family, man. That's what I do the rest of the year. I, I do family and I plan your trip period um yep. because those months yep. that i'm gone I, I get zero family so if i if i didn't set things up and structure them the right way where you know my other let's call it eight nine months of the year are focused on you know fishing with my wife uh sitting on the couch in front of a tv series with my wife being at the ball field with my young lad i mean what's the sense of getting up and going to work every day if you don't have that family, right? Because they're the ones that sacrifice the most and put up with it while we're all gone. Um, so those lifelong guys, you know, 
there's usually a pretty pretty heavy support group behind them at home that the rest of the year needs to be paid attention to right yeah absolutely absolutely or they're just lone wolves that you know there's the odd one of those ones yep they do exist they do exist they do exist i was i was on a river in montana um last week real famous trout stream and this time of year there's a specific hatch going on that attracts more fishermen than fish probably and i was watching the guides put in in the morning and take out at the end of the day and there was one old boy that probably was in his 60s and i don't know his story but i'll bet you if you sat down with him over a cold cold drink at the end of the day he could tell you stories you know yeah. he just looked like one of those lifers you know yeah and yeah. who knows he could have he could have been a day trader that made millions and decided to retread you know who knows but it could be odds are probably slim but could be <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly but just and it's just interesting you know you you sit back it's like sitting in the airport watching people and guessing yeah. at what they do you know but getting back to surrounding yourself with with team members with solid team members because it's just you know the having a good team elevates your level of play, you know, back to the sports analogies. Right. But mm-hmm. I'm sitting here looking at two dogs, bat dog and major pain on your yep. website. Yep. They, yeah, at, the, at the end of the day, the dogs are as big a part of this as, as we are. Right. They, the, without a question, they are, they are the ultimate support network. I mean, uh, they save a lot of miles at the end of the day. There's always a lot of stories told about them. Um, I don't know. I've been doing this a long time, man. And to go to a field without a dog, I mean, what's what's what are you really there for other than the pulling the trigger part at the end of the day? In my opinion, the the dogs are that dog work is everything. Well, I can't tell that you're proud of them because above your head on the shelf behind you, <laughs> yeah, is a, a whole bunch of plaques and ribbons. And unless you're showing uh, calves at the at the fair i'm thinking those are probably from dog competitions (laughs) those are those are from trials those are from trials those are there's a lot more that aren't shown in that video in the in the camera behind me too there's there's years worth of uh worth of dog ribbons kicking around for different dogs that are still here and that aren't here for that matter um right i've been real lucky to have um have some really good ones like really good ones i would say even the one that i would have on kind of the bottom of my list as being one of my better ones any waterfowl hunter any anybody would be happy to have had him so i've been real fortunate that way um i look at them as you know they i've got two of them um like you said on my website um bruce and major um they both sleep in the bed every night with me and the wife i mean they are our kids as much as our kid is for that matter um, yeah, but yeah. I've always looked at my dog as being one of those puzzle pieces as a top quality tool as well as part of the team, because, you know, um, if I've got a dog in the field that breaks and messes up a flock, well, that's a downfall. So, I mean, they've got to, They've got to perform just as much as I do. So they they're a family member, but man, they are an important tool at the same time. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head there that 
there's two types of, well, to overgeneralize maybe, I think there's two types of dogs. There's dogs that make the hunt that much better and a great experience, and there's dogs that make the hunt worse. You know, where you can t- yeah. you might have shot a pile of birds, but if you had a dog that was awful and unruly and uncontrollable and whatever, you're probably going to remember that that poor dog, you know, and, and uh, that behavior issues and whatever almost more than you're going to remember the, the hunt from the day. Without a question. But w- without a question. Yeah. And, and trust me, as a, as a lifelong waterfowl guide, I've seen multiple of both kinds of those dogs. <laughs> it's shocked me on your uh, going through stuff on your website that you can bring your own dog to your. The place. way I the way I a, see it, that's a surprise. Yeah, so that came from, like I mentioned earlier, my guiding days of sitting in the field, <clears throat> listening to the clients, like, oh, complain about this, complain about that, right? Um, that came from that where a lot of guys weren't able to bring their dog. Um, so my rule on bringing your own dog kind of really in a nutshell comes down to, you know what? <clears throat> this is your trip. You're paying for it. I'm not paying for this. So why, if you want to pay for the trip and you want to bring your dog and bring your dog, but I'm going to have the conversation with you out of the gates that, I have two different conversations. If it's a full group, say there's six guys that call and they book and one guy's got a dog and everybody's on the same page, you know, maybe they've hunted with the dog at home before doing, you know, hunts on their own and that kind of stuff. Um, I still have the conversation. Hey, if your dog starts to ruin a hunt or anything else, then, you know, I still reserve the right to be like, Hey, that dog's got to go to the truck. We got stuff to do. We got other people that are paying the same amount of money to do this so we kind of have the preliminary conversation um because i've seen guys show up that have hunted with dogs together like their buddies at home and all of a sudden one of the buddies is paying the same amount of money and that dog's ruining a hunt well now somebody cares because they're paying a bill they didn't just get up yeah. and buy coffees for everybody in the morning and those two guys that right. hunt at home together that are buddies they're quickly not becoming buddies in my blind type deal because of a dog so i still kind of reserve the right we have the conversations about that um but honestly like i don't think i'd be able to i don't think i'd be able to count on you know both hands or less than both hands um how many times i've had to ask a guy to take a dog to the field because um knowing that i have that conversation knowing that the quote unquote warning has been put out there that hey if your dog ruins mm-hmm. this 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 is not on me because trust me if i'm watching your dog ruin it i'm tucking those feathers away in my cap to be able to bring up in conversation when you turn to me and say well we didn't kill as many today as we should have or the first day didn't go the way that it should have <clears throat> i'm gonna sit there and go remember the four times your dog broke <clears throat> so you know but at the end of the day that's my biggest thing it's your trip bring your dog because your dog is as much of a part of your trip and your hunting experience as mine is to me. So bring your dog. Ours get to hunt a lot. Mine get to hunt a lot. My guide's dogs get to hunt a lot. Um, a day off isn't going to hurt them any. Have have at her. So Mm-mm. It's almost. <clears throat> and, in fact, I know I know helping Nick and, and Noah out here on the occasions that I have, it's almost a relief for their dogs to have a little help in the field yep. or – to have a day off, you know, and I know it's, I know it's going to be for mine. Well, he just, I just picked up a new pup 
um, a couple weeks ago, and one of Barton Ramsey's one of Barton Ramsey's oh, dogs, yes. and my dog's old. He's nine years old, and he's had lots uh-huh. of miles and lots of feathers in his mouth, and he can't. He just can't hack it, you know, for multiple right. days anymore. He can still give me. He can still give me one awesome day. Yeah, we had one day last year where I think he picked up uh, twenty. Yeah, he picked up twenty five mallards out of a. It was a little backwater slough, but it was it was cold. It was cold. Yeah. And I tell you what, it, at the end of the day, it was he was pretty tired and he slept the whole next day. You know, stiff yeah. and sore and. Them old like, dogs. It's them time. old dogs are I fun. Need a, yeah, man. It's it was funny talking to. When we went down and did the trip and talking with Corey Wages from SOK Tanglefoot and, and with Barton talking about Mackinac that, uh, you know, Corey said it best. He's like, yeah, man, the hay's in the barn with that dog. You're not, yeah. I don't train him anymore. We, yeah. we throw some bumpers and, and we do a lot of trout fishing in the mountains together. And so he's in shape, yeah. but training wise, he's got it. <laughs> yeah. You know he, he, I mean? He's like got, he's got it down. The, the pup that you got, did you get a male or a female? I got a female, uh, or I'm sorry, I got a male. It was was kind of funny. I had a deposit down quite a while back, and my wife and I had a, a son, got pregnant, and had okay. a little baby boy, and I called Bart, and I said, dude, I can't do a puppy and an infant at the <laughs> yeah. same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't and think my, any, my, any good, I mean, any we good could. could. Yeah. No, I mean we could, but it's there's a difference between could and should, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so he was he was great. He's like, yeah, man, I'll just hold your deposit. That's not a problem, and I, I think it's going to work out better that way anyway because the litter that I got was a cedar fia litter, and I wanted a dog with big motor, lots of heart, but could be a family dog, like you said, sleep on the bed at night, part of the yeah. part of the family. You know, and I, that's exactly what I ended up with so far. That's awesome. Named him Hondo and he's, he's great, man. Yeah. We're st- we just started place training last night and he's only, I've only had him for three weeks. So it's just starting, you know, we're it's, just, it's just fresh the ball yeah. rolling on things. Yeah. yeah that That's good, a real fun time. stage. Yeah. I, I love, I, as much as I don't like the puppy stage, I like the new dog stage. Um, I'm about a year away from being due for a new one to start getting ready as, as well. And, you know, I there like you those young, those young dogs, uh, Gavin, my one guy just picked up a puppy two weeks ago. So, I mean, we've got a new one coming to camp this year for that matter. Uh, well, I guess to be ready to really hunt in the spring, but I like that new dog stage because as much as it's a pain in the butt, because, you know, you'll look at that dog and tell it to do something that you've told your old dog for years now and that old dog's like yeah okay dude i got you no problem you just sit tight i'll be right back where you tell this new dog to do it and this new dog's like you want me to chase that butterfly okay cool i'll do that nope that's not what i said to do (laughs) but then you can watch that new dog right but then you watch that new dog start to pick up on things and you can see the light bulbs going off and that dog puts that puzzle piece together and then the next puzzle piece the next thing you know they're blowing through puzzle pieces and you're like ah that's rewarding to watch happen so it's a fun stage yeah it is you know and and we've been focused uh, last week and the week before when i first got got him home um just focused on you know experiences and socialization and just just the 
the foundation, you know, yeah. and to watch him go through different things and do different stuff, like simple stuff. We went to the, up in the mountains, uh, last weekend and there's a little Creek to cross and it's like not even ankle deep, just a trickle of water. Well, yeah. you'd have thought that that was like the, the great wall the of China River for him to get across. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> And my old dog just, bloop, you know, right through it. And we're all going. And he's sitting on the other side, whining and jumping up and down. And I'm like, come on, buddy. Come on. You know, and he, he figured it out. He figured out that, oh, that's not that big a deal. But yeah, all those first things, you know, and it's going to, that's going to translate into, I'm not going to, not planning on hunting him next fall or this coming fall. This is just going to be so little. Yeah. um, So young still. But I mean, I'll take him out on something that's easy and controlled. I don't want him around, you know, chaos where, yeah. you know, a huge group of mallards comes in and there's guns going off and everybody's hooting and hollering. I don't want that, but, you know, maybe me and dad go out and if we get a nice little calm water shoot where I got one little spot in particular I'm thinking of that is a little back channel. It's, it's like knee deep, you know, yeah. and it's maybe not even that deep to be honest. And if I just take go by myself or just with him and we can focus on the dog and if the dog can pick up a bird or two, great. But otherwise, I'm not planning on a lot of... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think back on what I've done with my old dogs and I'm like, it's a miracle that they turned out the way they did. Yeah. As good as they did because you... Oh, dang. I just look mm. at the mistakes and think, how did they turn out to be half the dog that they did? Well, and, and that's it. And I mean... Uh, I have, I, I have had a handful of them, like I said, and you know, um, Bruce that's on the website is actually a nephew to my one that I had before him, who was the best dog I'll ever have. Iceman. I mean, he was, I can't tell you how many, that dog ended up touching over 13,000 birds in his life and he passed away at eight years old. Like he, him and I did everything together. So I was used to this dog that, you know, if we could see each other, I was handling him like no big deal. We were good to go. So then I pick up this Bruce dog, who's his nephew. Awesome bloodlines, crushes training. Um, We get to September 1st and the dog's nine months old and everybody's like, don't hunt him, don't hunt him, don't hunt him. Give him, you know, till the spring. And I'm like, I got to get experience on this dog. And, you know, I'm not walking out there. And I was I was a little stubborn on hunting him maybe early type deal and that first morning we got out there had four guys and you know i told the boys listen this is his first hunt ever you know i'm gonna hold him well all this stuff and you know that first flock of early season honkers come in and four guys cut like nine geese out of it right and there's dead stuff flopping everywhere and this dog is just like um what just happened type deal like you've thrown two bumpers at <laughs> yeah. a time for me for six months now what is happening right yes. and oh my gosh he, no kidding but because the foundation was so so strong to him i mean he handled it well next thing you know a week later the dog is it's like he was a two-year-old dog he'd seen everything and the experience and everything like that and looking back on it you know i might be like well maybe we should have waited a little bit but at the same time the experience that that dog has is you know he at 
at the end of his first hunting season, he had he was had just turned one, and he probably had the experience of a four year old dog. So it kind of goes both ways, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you, you got to watch how you introduce him to it, but at the same time, um, you know, yeah, it's another sports analogy. Um, you can be awesome in a batting cage, but until you see live pitching, you're not going to know. And that's kind of, if you don't put the dog in a game situation, you're not going to know what he's, or he's not going to know what he's doing. Right. But yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think building that foundation, building the foundational skills, you know, of steadiness and lots and lots of retrieve time and complex drills. So they've had to think through some stuff and then, being able to judge your dog too, to be able to be honest with yourself and go, this dog's ready for some, some stuff. I can throw some stuff at this dog and, and going, this dog is not ready, you know? And I think with my very first one was a female and I did the same thing. She was in the field by my side when she was tiny and was dragging geese around by the neck and, you know, pulled a honker that weighed, as much as she did all the way back to the blind by the, by the neck, you know, and she's just this little tiny puppy. She was a beast. I mean, and she was absolutely 100% fearless. And like you said, by the time she was a year old, she was probably had the equivalent experience of a three-year-old dog. Right. And she only lived to be three years old. And I right. got hit by a car. I lost her to a oh, car, that's unfortunately. Terrible. That dog retrieved thousands of birds in that time. Yep. You know, and it's like, wow. Mackinac, where he is now, I hunted him on upland birds on pheasants a lot because that's kind of what I had the most of available to me. And it was one on one. And that's exactly what he needed because he's a little bit more cautious. He doesn't. He'll look, he'll think through a situation, like literally sit there and look and go, okay. And I watch him retrieve out of our rivers down here. And he's put the puzzle pieces together to the point where if I would have forced that stuff on him when he was little, I probably would have ruined him for sure. But I given him, letting him, letting him figure some stuff out on his own. He's a hell of a bird, hell of a gun dog. Yeah. And, but it, I had to, you know, I had to figure that stuff out where I had to be a little, a little softer with him and let him get himself comfortable. And then he was, once he was comfortable in a situation, there was nothing he could, nothing he can't do, you know, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, but I agree with you, man. If, if I can't, even somebody else's dog, if there's not a dog there, it takes a lot of the, the shine off stuff for me. Nobody has ever taken. We do. Uh, agreed entirely nobody has ever taken an awesome memorable magazine cover photo picture of a guide running back to the blind with an armful of birds looking desperate as all hell to be back in the blind it's never been taken no because kidding. it's it's not no something kidding. somebody wants to see they want to see a dog bringing mm-hmm. one at a time back <laughs> and any guide that's any person that's done that goes yeah i don't want to do that anymore I don't want to run 100-yard sprints with 50 pounds in each hand. No, the first time you run out to pick up that honker that you think is stone dead, next thing you know you're running hot laps in the field trying to catch the cripple, you're done with it. Get a dog, man. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, man. 
Oh, you she getting we get we get some sailors, you know, because we hunt them late, and those late season birds are tough, man. They got yeah. lots of feathers, lots of fat, and you don't always kill them outright, you know. You do if some you break a wing and you get you get one that sails or two that sail, and oh my gosh, pretty soon you're yeah. looking at a half mile jaunt across the field to where that bird went down, and then you got to chase it around and. Why are right. you so tired at the end of a day of bird hunting? You didn't do anything. You sat in a blind. No, not quite. <laughs> exactly. I do not have a gym membership. I do not want to run a mile to pick up a goose. It's simple. All those guys are like, oh, we'll get that one with the truck later. Mm-mm, we're going to get this one in about 45 seconds from now. Watch this uh, little four-legged yes. thing go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We had, I remember Mac did a retrieve here for us. We had a sailor. And it went a long ways. It was a big, big field we were hunting and had some guys that the guy didn't have a, didn't have a dog. Uh, he does now, but at the time he just started out and he didn't have his own dog and had clients that had never hunted around a dog. And I was just there to help with the dog basically and do some filming. And there's one of those that mm-hmm. Alan starts off out across the field. And I said, wait, wait, dude, you're, let i'll send mac and lined him up and sent him and he could see the bird flapping around out there and this thing is a long ways away and he ran and ran and ran and ran and ran of course then he gets close the bird starts trying to get away it could get about two feet off the ground that was all it could get and he snatched it right out of the air it right. was so far away that even on camera, if zoomed in, you can't really tell what's going on. Yeah. But all those clients and that guide were like, oh, my gosh, that was incredible to number one to watch. And number two, Alan didn't have to run down there and try to get close to that bird. And yeah. It's, right. Which is which is an awesome memory. They add so much memory. to the hunt. They, yeah, so they much add to so the much to the hunt. 100%. Agreed entirely. 100%. But. Well, what are your birds looking like this year? Uh, we're looking good. Um, there's areas that we would have liked to see some more rain in um, to have yeah. some some water. Um, but then we've got areas that, you know, have had lots of rain. So, I mean, we're, we're looking good. Um, we're in a great part of the flyway. Uh, we have everything that rolls through there. Um, where we are in Saskatchewan specifically, um, it, literally everything rolls through there. It's uh, it's where the main part of the speck migration from Saskatchewan and Alberta kind of joined together before heading down south. So we've got we've always got a ton of specks. Um, there's lots of ducks around right now, which is which is good. Um, and then you know. The small Canadas, the big Canadas, uh, the snows mm-hmm. and the cranes, they're 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 always there. And realistically, I mean, we'll go back to where we started in this podcast, that whole border situation. Um, there's just so many damn birds because the harvest has been down. I mean, so yeah. it's, uh, you know, the bird numbers haven't really been an issue um, every year. You have the same things, you know, the water. Is there going to be water around to hold them? How long will they stay for? But um, that also comes back to another part of the podcast that we touched on, the controllables and the uncontrollables. I can't control mm-hmm. those things, so I'm not going to lose sleep over what that part looks like in three months from now. But uh, things are 
things are looking good. There's no getting around that. We had piles of water around and piles of snows around in our spring snow goose season. So I expect very much the same for the fall. I hope so. I hope so. I hope that it it rolls through and I hope we can get people, we can get Americans across that border this fall for you. And uh, yeah, man, I'm definitely, you, I have added, I have added apex waterfowling to the bucket list with, Outstanding. with the old man. So, yeah, one of those deals where just, you know, like I said, visiting with you and, and just everything that you talk about, I could tell you guys run a first-rate operation and that anybody that comes your way is going to be is going to be taken care of and just have, like I said, building memories and have stories yeah. to tell, which well, is I that's appreciate what it's all that. About. That, that's that's, what, it's that's what it's all about. Yep, it absolutely cool, is. Cool. Well, Ryan, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. We're an hour and 15 minutes in, and we'll have you back. Let's have you back on at the end of the fall and do a recap for, for your I, fall season. I would love to. Pleasure's been all mine. Cool, cool. Well, I always I try to remember to always ask a question of my guests at the end. If you could only hunt one bird one way, for the rest of your life, it's all you could do. You had to pick. What's it going to be? Uh, ducks in a dry field, without a question. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't get yeah. just doesn't get old. There's nothing about it that gets old. There's something about watching those things work to uh, spinning to spin to spinners in a dry field that is just doesn't matter awful. if it's a single or if it's a wad of three hundred of them racing each other. They just they they do it. They're fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I th- I think that's. I mean, it might sound boring to a lot of people, but uh, not me. Just not me. The, the the action level never is. She's always cranked to ten on that on those things. So I that would be yeah. what I'd probably have to go with. Yeah, they do it so hard. You know, it's it, the difference between the difference between ducks on water and ducks in a dry field when they're when you're where they want to be is it's night and day. It's like is this even the same animal? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I would say like that's the one thing that everybody that comes and hunts with us, if they've never done it before, it's just like you can just watch their mind get blown. And then the guys yeah. that have been coming for years, they're the ones that are like, uh, whatever. Like the morning hunt was fun, that's sweet, but let's go shoot our ducks in the afternoon. Like I can't wait, type deal. So it's just <laughs> exactly. like it never, never gets old. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you there, man. And we we are blessed down here. We get to do we get to do quite a bit of that, you know, late yeah. season. That's our mallards are in corn or barley and it's it's a good time. Yeah. So. It sure is. Well, thank you again, sir. Have a great hey. day and I'll look forward to talking to you later this fall. Yeah, you too. Thank you, sir.